Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. It is Brando, episode 75. I believe if I look at Spreaker or SoundCloud, it tells me the amount of hours that uh, this podcast accumulates to. The amount of hours spent about talking about Guns N' Roses and, of course, uh, a variety of other topics and, and materials and, and guests, but it all centers around our Guns N' Roses universe, and it's incredible. I wouldn't be doing 75 episodes if it wasn't for all the the wonderful feedback that I get from all different uh, types of people, all ages, all different uh, countries. Uh, before I forget, I want to give a shout-out because he wanted to give a, a shout-out. If you guys ever want to... You guys are a part of the show. You know, as we discussed during, you know, these episodes on social media, you're a part of this. I just happen to be, you know, the crazy ringleader. But before I forget to a listener, uh, Dan Ludska from Illinois, he that's all he wanted. Because I put out there, and I was this is something I want to do going forward. I've had certain listeners, you guys, fans, I'm just a fan, happen to be in radio, happen to be doing a podcast, don't get paid for it, even though I'm at the iHeartRadio studios here in New York City. I'm just, it's just a work perk that I'm able to, you know, use this for recording. But uh, much like uh, our friend Remco from the Netherlands, uh, who became a co-host, uh, much like Sir Kevin from Ireland, uh, like Ray from the UK, or just being a part of a big episode, like uh, Tomislav from Croatia. If you want to be a part of an episode, co-host, and potentially interview somebody with me, so they could be really... It's the sky's the limit with creativity. Uh, just hit me up on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. And just tell me what your ideas are. You know, like, hey, like, you know what? I have this really good story. You know what? I'm actually, I happen to be friends with so-and-so who used to be a roadie in the band back in, and then you can come on. It can be an episode. Let's, you can be the producer of an episode. So just uh, hit me up. And uh, but but for today, Greg, I was gonna do that today, but I don't know. Based upon our conversation off the air, I'm like, you know what? I I felt like kind of close to you. I didn't want anyone to get it between us. Right. It was uh, I mean, I don't know if that sounds creepy or not, but that's no. It's just you know, I I understand. It's you know, it's a little awkward. It's fine. But <laughs> but uh, Greg Buckwalter is on the phone. Sure. Uh, the phone with us today. Um, where are you calling from? I'm in Van Nuys, California. Wow, that's where it all roots back from. You know, Nikki Six sings about that all the time. It seems yep. to be the the hub. I gotta get my ass yeah, out there. Yeah, it used to be the mecca for a lot of a lot of musicians back in the '80s. You know, oh. some of the '90s. I, 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 all I can do, and that's kind of what this podcast is, is kind of just like recreate the experiences uh, you know you guys have had. I mean, you know, I, I'm younger than you, but I'm, I, I'm I grew up learning about the New York scene. New York City right. scene, CBGBs. Yeah, uh, but, but I, you know, I, I grew up still like kind of, I don't know this, this really like, this imagination of like what is it like on the Sunset Strip in California with Guns N' Roses, of course, Motley Crue, Poison. There's well, something used, about that. Scene. It used to be a scene, and it was like these bands 
were all competing to get attention, and they would flyer everything. You know, you come you come out of a club, and there'd be flyers for for a band playing at the Whiskey or the Palladium, or whatever. You know, and it was a lot more like personal back then. You know, guys would try to one up each other and try to put on a better show than the other one, and you know, there's a lot of competition. Yeah, now it's all like a Facebook invite. If the the person does the personal touch is kind of lost, or yeah, you know, the personal touch is being connecting on Snapchat, and you feel like you're connecting with the person because it's a live video, right? And, but it's it's awkward. But I want to get into all of that with you, Greg. And if you don't know uh, his name, I don't think you would be offended, <laughs> Mr. Uh, you, uh, Mr. Buckwalter. You're like if people don't know who you are. Oh, I'm not offended. Yeah, because you have that down to earth personality. Because it had to be. Um, brought to my attention, and I have to thank a past guest of ours and a former bandmate of yours, uh, James or Jamie Hunting. That's a kind yep. of an inside joke with that episode. Because right. I'm, I'm like, you're, you're James Hunting on the the Outpatients record with with Wester Keene, but your Facebook is is uh, is Jamie. So like, what yeah. I, what do I call you? But for you, I just know it's it's Greg with two G's. Right, that's Greg. Like, yeah, <laughs> so, so we know you're serious. So uh, yeah. you played keyboards on that 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 kind of lost uh, record, that, that yep. awesome record from the Outpatients with West Arkeen. So that's why yeah. you, you join us today, and we're going to get into who you are as a person, the, the making of the record, and kind of the fallout, because like I kind of pr- uh, said before, when we spoke to off the phone, some of the stuff you said to me about that record and the things that happened after is super heavy. So oh, I'm like, yeah. you know what? I'm like, you know what? Let me let's this one just be a one on one. And in the future, you know, to everyone listening, you know, I definitely want to continue to have you guys involved in in episodes. And well, Greg, they're going to be involved in something that you're going to be in, involved with uh, right now. I kind cool. of have like sound bites and stuff because yeah. I, I, I want okay. this again to be. Kind of like a radio show, right? So yeah, very cool. I try to be creative like this one. Oh, Axel. I mean, of course, Axel yeah. knows. And I yeah. found that from uh, Friday, the, Friday the 13th, part four. Oh. Yeah, there was a character that just, you know, named Axel who got uh, horrendously murdered. Wow. <laughs> or uh, this one. I forgot to use this one last time because sometimes you bring up uh, Sebastian Bach because he is involved in, in the, the GNR universe. I don't know if you remember that TV show... Uh, that he was on with Ted Nugent, and oh, what the fuck was it called? It was like Supergroup on VH1, mm-hmm. but he wanted to name his band Savage Animal. Savage Animal. That was the name of his band. Not as cool as the Outpatients, and you guys spelt it weird. I don't think I asked. Uh, you know why it was spelt weird? Yeah, no. Tell, tell some other band in like you know Iowa or something had copywritten that name or something like that, spelled that way mm-hmm. with the T. And so we decided, well, just spell it this way, which is actually kind of deeper, you know? I know. It is. I like that the way it's spelled has a deeper meaning, so I do like it. That's yeah. awesome. But you're going to be a part of, and we're going to get to the, your story, all of that. But first, uh, my listeners know the deal. This is, I have, again, I told you a little before, I warned you a little before, my yeah. new segment. So to be creative, uh, Guns N' Roses have a song called Shotgun Blues. So oh. I call this one... News. Yeah, very intense. I know you're very mellow right now, but yeah, some, some of my, uh, my my sound bites are a little crazy. I don't know. It, it adds something yeah, instead absolutely. of just you know just a conversation between two two dudes. You know, yep. 
I want to uh, spice it up a we little bit. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. Right, right? on, right on. Oh. So uh, Shotgun News brought to you by uh, our friends, uh, or whether you like it or not, at AlternativeNation.net. Um, first one, it, it came out, uh, I interviewed uh, Todd Kearns several episodes ago, who's from Slash with uh, Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. At the time, he's like, I, he believed that they would make new music, whether he really knew at the time or couldn't really let the cat out of the bag. We've learned since then, uh, you know, yes, new record, new album. They're going to be here, at least for me, in New York um, in, in the fall, and that's when the new record's coming out in September. But their, their single, I, I thought it was released, uh, their single, Driving Rain, but I guess it kind of leaked because it's on some Spotify um, outlets in certain countries. But this was told to me through a source uh, that it was not meant to be released. They're trying to like shut it down everywhere, and it's wow. supposed to be available on Wednesday. So it's interesting that I mean, then how would Spotify get it? But the source I have is pretty credible and said yeah. they, they asked Slash himself. But this ties into uh, something, Greg. And if you have an opinion on, because part of Shotgun News, I kind of always reflect on the the last episode I do because sure. you never know just like when you would play gigs you never know who's going to see you for the first time you right. never know who's going to hear you for the first time so I get that a lot like hey I just found you I have to go back and listen to episodes so it's, cool. so it's flattering but last episode you know yes we can interview you know, musicians and people who partied and are rock stars like you uh, you Greg Buckwalter but in this GNR universe that I've thought I knew before doing this podcast, it just goes into like this dark web, you know, lies, deceit. It's like some of it's like storyboard, uh, it's like soap opera story. Yeah. It's just, cra- it's just it's crazy. Like I, I, someone should write a friggin' movie about this shit, you know? I know. No, there isn't. I mean, they do make movies about, I mean, I, I can just start at the top, like social, like what was it, the social network about Facebook, but and like all the, the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, right. You think like all you're doing is watching a movie about a computer program right. you know, or, or an application or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on uh, yeah. between, uh, you know, my podcast or there are uh, on- online forums. That's how uh, I found out to, or was given the idea, rather, to interview Jamie uh, and then which would lead to this interview, which would be uh, through an, uh, an online Guns N' Roses forum. So, sure. I mean, I looked at these places for news and see the pulse of the people. But the last episode I did was, and and maybe you could think about this in regards to the outpatients, right? So I know you guys had trouble releasing the record for a variety of reasons, and but yeah. you, you wanted to get the music out there. So with Guns N' Roses, I mean, I'm sure you've... Axel refused to sign his release. He he refused to sign West's, West's release? Yeah. When he came in and sang... He was supposed to sign a release saying we could use his performance, you know, on the record. Right. And he never signed it. And he threatened to sue us if we released it before his next record came out in the U.S. So we were kind of like going, what, you know? So that... So that album, though, that came out in the late 90s, because uh, it came out in Japan first. And so when did it, I mean, the, the, this important sidebar, when did it officially come out in the U.S.? Because Guns N' Roses didn't release anything until Chinese Democracy, right? That right. was the Chinese era? So you could have, right. <laughs> well, that means I'm sure he didn't think it would take that long to, to do that. But that's. Uh, no, we, it, it, was, it was a mess. And we were just about getting ready to. First, our our original singer died. Yeah, yeah. Making the album in the middle of making the record, I find him dead in the bathroom, and West is 
like, you know, unconscious on the floor in the hallway. And I picked West up. I put him on the couch. I say, where's George, man? George of Bass was our original singer. And he was a really sweet guy from Atlanta, Georgia. He sang his ass off. And um, I was yelling at George. I'm, I kicked in the bathroom door because it was locked, and he was on the floor, and I'm giving him CPR and screaming at him and shit. And uh, oh, it was just a mess. So after the police and paramedics and ambulance took George's body, I took Wes to re- a rehab, and they wouldn't allow him in because he was too fucked up. He's want, they wanted him medically cleared from an emergency room first. So I had to carry him back to the car, put him in the car, drive to a hospital, carry him into an emergency room, wait around. Finally, at about 4 in the morning, he, comes, he's out, he gets out. I get him checked into this rehab. And I just started dating a girl that weekend, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, she asked, oh, how was the recording? She thought I was in the studio all day. I said, well, uh, didn't quite go as planned, you know? <laughs> and, and check this out. That morning, the record guys from the Japanese label were on a plane to meet us and take photos in the studio. I, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, obviously, a death at any point in time is horrible, but the timing of everything, it's like, what do you eat? Because the sudden death—I mean, I've been there. It's like, what do you do? Right. But when you, right. But when you have, there's so many different legs to it. Where it's just, aside from the emotional, which is just a main part of it, but just the album release and just all the different people, oh, man. And all was, the business dealings you have to deal with. I can't even imagine. It was insane. And then uh, I co-wrote one of the tunes on it, and I had a fight with West about being listed as a co-writer. And it was just he, things. When he was clean, he was really cool. But when he was using, all bets were off, you know? That's usually the case, isn't it? And yeah. uh, I want to go quickly back to this because we're getting to uh, you know your heavy stuff right away. But I want everything, of course, to come out organically. Sure. But uh, our last episode we were talking about are Guns N' Roses songs that leak out and certain right. stories that come out uh, with that. But, but here's the thing, though. That's with GNR and he's alive and healthy and people want it and, and demand it. But with... With West, it's like the songs that he can't make anymore. So it's like, I wish they were out there. They're hard to find. I was telling Jamie, they're hard to find. I was telling you, they're hard to find on YouTube. And it's, you know, sometimes leaked material is a good thing. I guess. I don't or, or would that hurt you? Because you said you, you said that you and Jamie said the same thing, that you guys really haven't seen any residuals from this record. And people want it. People want yeah. it. Yeah. It's, and check this out. When, uh, I used to be in a band with uh, Rod Jackson. He sang for Slash's Snake Pit. Sure, he was a former guest. What a wonderful du- guy he was. Oh, he's great. Yeah. Sings, sings his butt off, man. Anyway, he calls me up after coming back to the U.S. from touring and goes, Hey, Greg, you guys are huge over in Japan and Asia and Europe and stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? There is no band. West died and our singer died and... He's like, oh, those posters of you guys everywhere, and you guys are in all these magazines, right? And you're all over the Internet. And at the time, I didn't have a computer. I wasn't really into it. I just 
never bothered with it. I said, how can I be on the Internet? I don't even have a computer. That's how <laughs> I was. <laughs> sure. I mean, we said, uh, you know, late 90s and the, the Internet yeah, was still trying yeah. to figure out, like, what it is, you know. Yeah. And then Napster came out and it just ruined everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And uh, the Internet, I think, really destroyed a lot of businesses, man, really badly. But anyway, um he tells me that, so I go out. I go out to a Radio Shack. I buy a laptop. I get online. I'm like, holy crap, you know. <laughs> I go to Amazon to order the record because I don't have a copy because everything I had burned up in a fire prior, you know. Wait, was that the same fire with with Jamie? Because his stuff burned up in a fire. No. So you both had, because I asked him like what he oh. may have in the past. He's and he was telling me about a house fire. So you had a house fire too. No, I was driving back from Boston with all my equipment in my van, and my engine caught fire, and I was only able oh. to save my Gibson acoustic that was on the top, my Hammond B3 burn, my piano, my Leslie speakers, my guitars, my wardrobe, everything. Oh my, what were you driving? What were you driving? A Ford Econoline E150. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're okay, but were you okay at the time, like physically? Oh, physically, yeah, but I was, you know, what do you do? You lost your life. Oh, man, I, you know, buried two band members from the outpatients, got divorced, went to Boston to supposedly make a record with a friend who said I could stay with him, but he neglected to tell me he was living in his mom's basement and I could only stay for a couple days. (laughs) And I'm going, what? So meanwhile, it's cold and miserable there, and I'm sleeping in my van with all my gear, and I can't find any old friends that have room for me, right? I'm like, Jesus, if I'm going to be homeless in my own hometown, I might as well go back to L.A. or at least it's warm. You know, I can pick oranges off someone's tree or something. <laughs> so I'm, as I'm driving all the way back with everything, I get to Needles, California, which is a couple hours outside of L.A., and smoke starts pouring in under my feet. And I pull over, open the hood, and there's blue flames shooting out of the engine. So I open the back of the van and grab the guitar and, all of a sudden, the police were there, and they're pulling me. At, trying, I'm trying to pull my stuff out of the van, and they're pulling me at the same time. It was just a scene, right? So I'm like, okay, God, you got my fucking attention now. <laughs> you know, you've taken my bandmates. You, you took my wife away from me. Now you took everything I own away from me. And I had no insurance on the vehicle or my gear or anything at the time. I was really broke, you know. Wow. And uh, I got this little voice in my head that said, I need you to fix the organs in my churches. I said, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. Okay. You you got my attention for sure. So that's what I've been doing and writing songs. I did have a cool band put together, but the drummer bailed because he's got like two wives. Oh, that's nice. Well, he's got like alimony up the wazoo. He has to work his ass off to pay child support and stuff. And he doesn't have time to commit to a band. And the other guys that I'd hired for the record, they're all older guys and I don't have any backing so I can't pay them you know mm. so I'm like shit you know what do I do it's like I oh, just do what I do fix organs play right record I have a, a analog recording studio believe it or not I still record on tape I don't know how to use computers for recording it makes no sense to me mm. you know it's like what are you looking at it's changing I, the game for sure but there are a lot of bands who still want to keep analog so I mean I, you know it's funny i've had a few clients come in and they're all about getting that organic sound but none of them can play you know (laughs) right 
they can't they can't play through a song without messing up somewhere. And it's like, wow, man, you guys aren't ready to record yet. So they have to fix it later in, in, in production. Yeah. You know, the running joke was, you know what the big couch was for behind the big con- mixing console at the big studios? Mm-hmm. For the band to sit in while the real musicians played their shit. <laughs> Seriously, that's how it was a lot of times. You know what? And I understand that, too, a little bit. Uh, in my world, comparing it, doing a podcast versus live radio, right. and I admit sometimes I'll, you know, I'll go off on a tangent. That sometimes it's like with playing, you know, keyboards or a guitar, you just have to riff it and see where it goes. But I'll go back and listen and be like, I just spent thirty seconds talking about shit, and right. I take it out. And I'm like, sure. but should I do that? Is that as organic as possible? You know, I, I never change the conversation, but right. I fix things here and there. But of course, it's different than actually playing a tune. Because right, it's right. you know, it's still pleasing to the ear. You should get through a song. So, right. uh, so back it, in the day, there was records. You know, mm-hmm. there was records, and the record looks. You know, you'd go into a, a record store, and you'd see a cool looking record, and you'd go, "Wow, I wonder what that sounds like," just based on the uh, cover. You know. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it was like a way different thing than it is now. And. um you know, if you liked the record, you went, the record was a calling card to sell tickets to the concert. And so, labels mm-hmm. would invest money and develop an act. You know, give them a three-record deal. One record to introduce them to the group people. Second record to reintroduce them to the people. And the third one would hopefully be the one that puts them over the top. That's how it used to be with Springsteen and Fleetwood Mac and Dire Straits and all these old bands back in the day. You know what I mean? The labels would add, would take the time to develop them and let them go out and tour for a while. And, you know. Well, no, now it's instant. And it's funny yeah. you mentioned I was just Well, listen, they don't even want to talk to you if you don't have 10 zillion followers on in the internet. And no, I'm you, like, who right. the hell are these people, you know? That's a fair point. Know, you know, it's really weird. I get fan mail sometimes on the internet from people asking me about the outpatients and what it was like working with Axel and Slash and Doth and Izzy and all these guys. I'm like, wow, I can't believe people even know about this, <laughs> you know? Well, that's the good thing of the internet, that, you know, you this, your band and, and some of your projects could have been lost over time, but these things right. can still have life in them because of the internet and, and, you know, because of, well, this podcast is possible well, because of the internet. So well, it does, of yeah. course, it has its positives and, and negatives much, you know, yeah, depending went, upon how you, you use it. Yeah. I went to order it on Amazon and it was sold out. <laughs> Right. I go to order it again, like a few days later, sold out again. I go to order it like a month or two later, sold out again. I'm like, and then I call the old attorneys and I'm like, well, what's going on? This thing is selling. Where's the dough? You know? And they're like, oh, there's no money. It's not selling. No, you know, forget about it. You know, and these attorneys ended up like retitling songs and using them in movies without any telling in people and all kinds of heinous shit, you know? It goes way deep. I've been through five attorneys, and to do an international, you know, look under rock investigation costs way too much money, and it's it's like not worth it. I've reached out to Duff about helping me trying to figure this shit out, and he didn't, you know, he doesn't give a shit. Um, it's just weird. Are you? What do you have a relationship with him still? Not really. No, we recorded a couple tunes at his house, and. Um, during that time, Axel was on his fury, firing everybody and just sending like 20-page faxes 
to Duff going, you know, F you, I own everything, you're out of the band, you know, that kind of shit. Hmm. And uh, so he was dealing with that crap. And I don't know, it was just weird, you know, it was just a weird, a weird time. Weird environment? Yeah. Yeah, like it wasn't comfortable and pleasant. Everyone was uptight and tense and, you know, it wasn't a cool vibe. Well, let's, I want to get, because that's obviously with this being a Guns N' Roses podcast, kind of the intriguing part, the making of that record and how, you know, that was post breakup. But I want to find out more about you there. So let's leave a little cliffhanger for a moment. Sure. You know, because I want to know, I mean, you're you're mentioning all these bad things that are happening to you. Yeah. I want to know where it's. it's, It's like cursed or something. I know. But anyone involved or remotely involved with Guns N' Roses. But I want to know, like, when you were, because I think you said you grew up in in Massachusetts, were you like a little kid getting sand kicked in your face? Like, what was little Greg like? Like, were you always kind of, uh, you know, have a black cloud over your head? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Charlie Brown? Yeah, in fact, my mom said she knew there was something wrong with me when I was a baby because I never smiled for baby pictures. Yeah, man, I was like wicked depressed from day one. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking terrible. I don't know why. I fight it. I take meds and I fight it daily, but I can still function. But sometimes moments seem like forever. I hear you. And then years go by in like the blink of an eye, and you're like, Jesus Christ, my sense of time is so strange now, you know? I couldn't agree anymore. I mean, I just yeah. took I just took my uh, my 40 milligrams of Cymbalta before we yeah. we started talking. So. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yes, no, I'm, I'm with you. So then what kind of, I mean, in addition to being maybe a droopy dog as a kid, like yeah. what, what kind of kid were you? I mean, were you in a... I mean, were you a musical kid? Were you a sports kid? Like, how, how did you get into this kind of music and play well, keyboards? You know, how do you get into that? Well, my my parent, my mom had a piano, right? Mm-hmm. And she thought it would be cool if my brother, younger brother, and I would take piano lessons. We started off at, I think I was five and he was three. I stuck with it. He quit. And then I got ex- I sat in with Clarence Gatemouth Brown, an old Zydeco blues Cajun guy, okay. at a club in Boston, and he asked me to finish the rest of the dates of his tour on the East Coast. And I went home and asked my parents, and they said, no, you can't, you're still in high school. And I was like, damn it, I just want to play music, you know? <laughs> That's what I want to do. So I ran away from home, hitchhiked <laughs> to Florida, you know. To Florida? And, yeah. You hitchhiked from from Massachusetts to Florida. Yeah, yeah. Why Florida? I was in love with this girl there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was young and stupid. You know, I would, you know, drag my nuts through 100 yards of broken glass just to hear her pee on, in a tin can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I, I haven't heard that that visual before, but I still know what you mean. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I may use that. Well, but, check this out. Uh-huh. This is funny, because uh, <clears throat> she... She ended up getting married to some other guy, and she, I didn't talk to her for a zillion years. She ran off to Israel with a rabbi after her husband died of cancer. Oh. Like, what? Interesting. <laughs> really weird. Anyway. On, on behalf of my chosen people, that's a little interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're part of the tribe too, right? You're. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, my father is a Holocaust survivor from Romania. Wow. And he was very strict with me, 
and I, I did sports, and I was smart in school, and but and but I also got high, and played music, and so oh, I, I didn't really fit in with anybody. I was okay. But people, you know, the people that I got high with didn't like me because I was in all advanced brain classes. The people in the brain classes didn't like me because I got high. <laughs> the musicians didn't like me because I played basketball. The basketball guys didn't like me because I got higher than them. <laughs> you know? You, could, you couldn't win. Like, yeah. And then the musicians, it was like all this marching band kind of, you know, orchestral. I was playing French horn and piano, but I, it just was, it wasn't for me. I wanted to play rock and roll, you know? And Who were you uh, listening to at the time, and what was your first concert? Oh, man. What blew my mind, I think, was when I was 13. I had been stoned for like the second or third time on weed. And a friend of mine's older brother was a scary good bass player. Studied with Miroslav V2s, and he played with Weather Report and Miles Davis. And he was like, you know, the shit, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes, hey, Greg, you play piano. Because they had a piano, and I would play on it sometimes. He goes, you got to hear this. Brings me into his room with his wicked old-school stereo, puts this record on, and this music comes on. I'm like, I know that music. That's Creature Double Feature, right? It was a TV cartoon on the Saturday mornings in Boston, Creature Double Feature. Hmm. And um, they would show old Godzilla movies and Rodan and oh, nice. you know, all those weird Japanese monster movies that oh, yeah. are really stu funny. So that they used that music, and that music was Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Brain Salad Surgery, Takata. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And I was like, wow, what are those sounds? He's telling me, oh, that's a synthesizer. And what's that? that oh, that's a Hammond organ. I'm like, wow. So I go home that day. I tell him, Dad, I want to get a synthesizer. He's like, well, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you never heard of such a thing. They just started coming out with them. And so he goes, well, you better get a job. So I got a job washing dishes at this restaurant all summer to buy my first synthesizer, which was a Yamaha CS50 four-voice thing. It was pretty, really cool, but it took me a long time to learn how to play. The, you know, I was used to playing piano. I wasn't used to playing synthesizers and organs and stuff. It's a way different feel. I can imagine. So that's that's kind of how it happened. And a band, a drummer that had auditioned for a band I was in in Boston, wasn't good enough for our band, according to the bass player. So we didn't take him. The guy calls me up two weeks later and says, Hey, man, I moved to L.A. I got a gig with Paula Abdul making 3500 a week. I'm like, no kidding. Good for you, man. That's awesome. I tell the bass player, Paul, that. I go, hey, man, you remember Corey, the guy we didn't think was good enough? Yeah, well, he's playing with Paul Abdul now making 3500 a week. We should move to L.A. And they were all didn't want to move, didn't want to leave home, you know? Mm. So I was like, fuck this, I'm out of here, you know? Your commitment but, level was different. Well, yeah, I mean, I packed up my shit and drove cross-country cross with my gear to play rock and roll, you know? At least this time you drove instead of hitchhiked. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but by the time I got here, my poor truck at the van at the time was burning yellow and orange and purple-black smoke. <laughs> you know, it was like burning washer fluid and coolant and you know it's just weird wow then yeah th so when you moved to la how long did it take for you to get kind of like a 
you know, a, a break, yeah, or a breakthrough gig and say, hey, you know what, I can kind of set up shop here and, and make this work for me. Yeah. Well, the first gig I got was that was actually a selling cowboy boots in a cowboy boot store. Sure. Okay. Right? Now I was just doing that. And I was like, there was a magazine called Music Connection that that used to be distributed everywhere. And there was, in the back, there was these classifieds, music classifieds. Hey, this band's looking for, a, you know, electric spoon player. This guy needs a guitar player. We're looking for a bass player for our band. We do, you know, go-go's or whatever the F it is, you know. So I'm like, okay. So I'm calling these ads. First thing they ask me, what do you look like, dude? What do you look like? Hmm. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, what do you look like, dude? I'm like, what the fuck do you care? (laughs) You know, you want to fuck me? You don't want to play rock and roll with me? You know? I said, look, I'm 6'3". I weigh 200 pounds. I have long black curly hair. Uh, You know? What do you look like? What the fuck? What question is that? You know? I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. And unfortunately, in L.A. at that time, MTV was happening, and everyone wanted band members that had a look. Mm. Right? And poor West. Poor West. A brilliant guitar player. Was really thrilled that his friends in Guns N' Roses were playing some of his tunes and writing with him and shit. And they wouldn't let him in the band because he was too short and fat. Didn't look right, you know? You know, like, you... Wow. And he, you yeah. T- you told me that off the air. And yeah. Like, did he say that? Was it a perception you had? Did you hear someone else say that? Because... I, his girlfriend told me. She said, you know, he really... He's asked him a bunch of times to join the band, but he's, they told him, no, you're too short and fat, man. I'm sorry. You don't look right. I I can't... Isn't that sick? That that I mean, everyone's different now. They're obviously they're different in their fifties than they were in their late you know late teens, early twenties, whatever. Right, right. So I, I try not to, to judge. Like, oh, what a, f- a dick thing to say and get mad because I'm not. Yeah. In, we're not in that moment. But that is, if that's how they said it or whoever it was, that's obviously a really dick thing to say, especially for somebody who who is suffering demons. And I it, you, yeah. I, I grew up thinking. He you know, was a I, 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 player, man. He was really good. In well, fact, well, that's how I, I found out. Well, obviously through Guns N' Roses and Appetite for Destruction, just celebrating. I think it's thirty first anniversary. Right, right. But, like uh, number one again or something. Yeah, I mean, with the box set, you know, it went top ten again. But mm-hmm. with, you know, growing up, obviously years ago before this podcast and all, you know, even close yeah. to that, I. But like, who is this arcane guy listed on Appetite that wrote these songs? So I would look it up. Like, oh wow, he wrote "It's So Easy." You know, yeah. wrote a "Bad Obsession" on the illusions in the garden. And I'm like, yeah. who is this guy? And I watched YouTube videos, and it's, I'd see the love and affection that you would see Axel have for for West. I think that there was that one video when they're playing "You're Crazy" or something. Yeah. And but when you told me that, I'm like, I I kind of don't want it to be true. I don't want to believe that. No, that, that, it's absolutely true, man. His, he was heartbroken because they wouldn't let him in the band. He really loved the band and thought that, you know, he really wanted to be in the band. It reminds me of how how it comes off uh, that Stephen Adler feels now, that he feels like he's not, you know, worthy right. enough or something. That's It's really sad because, you know, what? At the, when they fired him, he was the one that was getting clean. He was the one that was trying to get his shit together because they were starting to pop, and the other guys were, like, making fun of him and teasing him and shit, you know? 
were you around uh, GNR back in the day, or was your first encounter with uh, West and the outpatients? Where did your worlds collide with our world? Uh, I first saw GNR in Boston, opening for Aerosmith. Doing a, they were opening for Aerosmith when they first came out, and they came out, did their thing, and Axel swearing, "You motherfuckers," and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, "Who is this guy?" You know. <laughs> Like what's up with this? And then they did a show, and I thought, okay, kind of cool. Then Aerosmith came, Aerosmith came out and gave them a lesson. You know what I mean? Mm. Like totally outclassed them in every respected area, from performance to songs to hooks to grooves to lighting to everything. It was just like, you know, okay, these guys are the new guys. But here's the real guys, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And um, so, they made, honestly, they made GNR look like amateurs. And But their song, Welcome to the Jungle, was on the radio. And I'm like, damn, that's a badass song, right? Mm-hmm. And it was hitting on the radio all the time. And I'm going, what a great fucking tune. Yeah, I'll go see these guys. They're opening for Aerosmith. No shit, this ought to be fun. And I, I was expecting... I was expecting the record off the stage, you know what I mean? And they didn't sound that good. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you know? You hear that a lot about GNR back in the day. And, I mean, yeah. I was not fortunate enough to, I mean, I was only born in in, uh, in 83. But, oh, wow. you know, for people who, who have seen them versus, uh, well, I got to say, the, the late, uh, it was a quote from the, Late and great, uh, Vinnie Paul, where you know he grew up watching GNR, and right. he had seen them recently. I think it was uh, something he, uh, an interview in 2016, that he's like Axel's never sounded better. Like back in the right. day, they were kind of sloppy and yeah, but yeah, they were sloppy. They were fucked up. They were missing shit, you know. But it's it's cool. They were just starting out. Now they're you know huge man, biggest rock band in the world, you know. But I mean, Aerosmith really kick their ass like really hard you know what i mean like i was like whoa <laughs> i was blown away did you get to encounter uh because you know you were living there i mean obviously aerosmith from boston and right. you know they were on a different elevation at the time but with with guns did you were they still it would despite having a song on the radio were you kind of in the same circles as they were or were they already surpassed had they already surpassed that they were they were breaking they were they were becoming worldwide yeah, so it wasn't like they were you were at the same when you moved there that they were still playing. No, no, they were they had already been huge. I moved out here in '91. Okay, and at that time, that was the illusion uh, era time. So yeah, yeah, and I got a gig playing with this uh, Canadian singer named Sass Jordan, who was signed to uh, Aquarius in Canada or some shit like that. And we did a bunch of touring. We played all over North America. We toured with. Uh, Brian Adams, Steve Miller, Joe Cocker, oh, nice. the Archangels, uh, Richard Marks, a whole bunch of people. And when I came off that tour, that's when I met West. Okay. You know, because I, I had turned down opportunities to play with other artists, and I'm like, you know what? I don't really like living on a bus, playing my ass off every night, and watching someone else get rich. I'm a creative entity myself. Why can't I co-write or be part of something creatively instead of just being a hired dog, you know? Yeah. Because I'm very, you know, I like to write songs and shit. So anyway, I 
turned down. Uh, I don't even want to mention it. It's stupid. All right, you don't have to. Yeah, the big mistakes. I turned down. I'll tell you. I turned down the Wallflowers. Okay. Uh, I heard the demo and it sucked. The only reason that record happened is because they ended up spending over eight hundred thousand dollars on songwriters to make that record. <laughs> no shit. To make a you know, one they, headlight to make that song. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, I mean, that's like, that's the one song. So, I mean, right. yeah, I mean, I guess that, that the residuals of whatever you might have gotten that from that well, would be nice. But, I mean, they have that. You no, know, the stuff I heard, there wasn't, I didn't hear a song. I was listening to the demo and they'd tell me, oh, it's Dylan's kid. And I'm thinking, wow, this ought to be a, he ought to be a charming little fellow, right? <laughs> okay. And I was like, yeah, fuck that. I got a call from Christina Aguilera's manager to play with her. I said, no, I just came off the road with a diva bitch. I do not want to play for another diva <laughs> bitch ever again, you know? Sure. I, I <laughs> so I turned her down. I got a call to play with Dream Theater. Oh, wow, okay. I don't, um, even though I can play it, it doesn't excite me, you the, know? The prog rock kind of stuff? Yeah, it's like... I like shit that makes you sing and dance and want to fuck, you know? <laughs> right on. Yeah, yeah. You I, know, I want to have a good time. I want to, you know, feel something. If a song doesn't make you feel something, it's not a good song. It I, should make you either want to drive fast, you know, cry, reminisce, uh, whatever. You know what I mean? If it doesn't give do. you any sort of feeling that to incite your foot tapping or your... You know, your lips humming or whatever. It's not any good. I work with. I ended up working for Ray Charles, man, for about six years before. Wow. He and I have his old tape machine, multi-track tape machine. That's what I record on, two-inch tape. It's a 24-track machine with 16-track heads. And I heard an interview with Joe Walsh years ago, and he said on Rockline, "Man, if you can't make a good record on 16 tracks, you shouldn't be making records." <laughs> You know, because the DJ was asking him what he thought about, you know, all this 48 track and 64 track digital and unlimited tracks on computers and all this stuff. And he's like, man, you know, that's what he said. And I, I agree. Yeah, it goes back to what we were saying before about, like, can you play live as opposed to you need to record and fix things later in Pro Tools or, or yeah. whatever, same thing. But yeah, I, all, my, all my favorite records did not have Pro Tools on them at all. They were all done on tape, and the guys actually played and sang and performed. No, of course not. And this ties into uh, things, because I want to ask you about it, uh, yeah. is, is Ray Charles. I mean, he didn't need all those tracks, and I still listen to it. Yeah. Uh, um, it's He's funny, because on my Spotify, I mean, it's funny that we're talking about it now. I just listen to uh, Dire Straits, because we just mentioned uh, them before, right. and Ray Charles. They're in my regular rotation, and you don't need yeah. all those tracks. So i got to ask, how is it working with... Was such a, a legend. I mean, I can't even. Oh I man, can't even I was him. blessed. I'll tell you, I was blessed. After I, you know, was fixing organs for churches, I got a call one day from him, from you know, saying, "Hey, I heard you're good with organs. Like, yeah, well, come on down." Okay, I was nervous as hell. <laughs> I, I go to the studio. It's in, on Washington Boulevard in L.A., kind of the hood, not really the hood, but on the edges of the hood. And I go in, and he wasn't there. And I go into the room where the organ is, and I turn it on, and I'm playing it, and it's got all kinds of issues, man, like missing tones and just a mess. So I'm working on it. I'm restoring all these dead tones. I'm fixing the shit out of it. Finally, after about four hours, I said, okay, it's ready. Ray comes in. He says, play it. 
So I start playing. He goes, ooh, yeah. That sounds better than the day I bought it back in 1959. <laughs> and his, his engineer pointed at me and gave me the thumbs up. And I, for, ever since then, I was his, his keyboard tech. <laughs> and I was like, wow, he liked it. Thank God. So um, I ended up putting... I ended up, you know, doing a lot of work with Ray, and Ray doesn't look at a computer screen. Well, obviously. He doesn't, <laughs> he, yeah, he doesn't see if a needle's in the red or not. Right. Right? It's a feel. It's a, does it sound good? Right. Right? Does it effing sound good? One time this rapper came in. It was pretty funny. He, this young kid, he goes, hey, Mr. Charles, I, I, got, my, I got a song I want to show you. He's like, okay, sing it. He goes, well, I gotta have my beats, yo, and it's it's a rap, and I gotta rap to the the beat. <laughs> and Ray goes, son, if you can't sing it, it ain't a song. Why don't you go on home and think about that, boy? <laughs> you know, amazing, amazing. Yeah. That is so true. Yeah. If you can't sing it, it ain't a song. <laughs> Thank you, Ray Charles, for that. I mean, it's just, you know, yeah. No, I oh. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you can have talent and do some of these things and put yeah, out, but, you know, uh, yeah. music for whatever you want to call it. But right. no, there's this lost art of making the music. Making records. Making you records. Know, the old school. And even if even some of the great ones were done really quickly, like in a week. Like Led Zeppelin 1 and 2 were done in like a week or two weeks. They didn't spend three years making it. They just went in and recorded some songs and just mixed it and boom, here you go. You like it or don't you, you know? You're right. So then we got to get into, this all ties in together, the fluid, fluidity of the conversation. Yeah. And, uh, one of the, and I'll give this fan uh, credit for asking the question, even though it's kind of the, you know, the big pivot. Uh, this is from uh, uh, Ty, uh, Tintin from uh, from Mexico. Forgive me, I always mispronounce his name, but he owns uh, Slash's fan page uh, out of Mexico and does so many likes, it's ridiculous. Wow. And it's, I appreciate because sometimes they'll translate some of my interviews into Spanish. Yeah. Which is just, that's so cool. It means a lot to do that. But he wants to know, since we're talking about recording, then yeah. how was the recording process of Anxious Disease? Because we've already, we've mentioned so many different things tape. already. Was it? It was on tape. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to a couple studios that had tape machines and it was tape, man. They didn't need a computer to do anything. Any of those really cool audio effects are done with tape machines and outboard effects, like physical equipment, not some plug-in. You know what I mean? Like, well, this is what I find fascinating is the new recording gear all emulates the hard gear that I have. And everyone goes, oh, you need to get this, you need to get Pro Tools. I'm like, what for? You know? I have everything I need to make a record here. This is how it was done since I was a kid. And all my, you know, Kansas, ZZ Top, the Beatles, the Stones, it was all on tape. In fact, the last Stones rec record that was done for Virgin was rejected because all the guys, they were, did the file sharing thing where, you know, they're all in different parts of the world and they're sending, you know, here's a song and a file. Right. And the other guy puts his part on, sends it to the other guy to put his part on. And by the time it was all done, the guy that owns Virgin said, what the fuck is this? I didn't pay for this. This isn't a Rolling Stones record. Go back into a studio with tape machines and do it right. I didn't pay for this. I paid for a Rolling Stones record. I'm not putting this out. And so they wasted all their time jerking off on computers. Only to be told to go back into a real studio and cut it on tape. 
you know. But since it was, you know, all on tape and the manipulation, you couldn't take advantage of it like you could with uh, Pro Tools, any sort of editing software. Then, you know, with the people who were on that Outpatient's record, like uh, Adler and Slash and Axel and Duff, how did that come about? Did they all come in and, and tape their parts separately with West no, and you they guys? Would play How live. That... They would play live, all of them. They would play live. And then, you know, if someone messed up here, they would go in and overdub, you know, go and redo their part if they messed up or whatever. Okay. You know, that kind of thing. And then once you have your, your basics, basics is basically your rhythm tracks, your basic rhythm tracks, the drums, bass, rhythm, guitar, you know basics then you start adding the vocals the leads the percussion the you know different things and that's how that's how records were made you know back back then that's you know you played live you had to play it so you were uh with so then this was your first time meeting and re- obviously recording with steven and izzy like what was that like meeting these people for the first time i was blown away yeah, because I was blown away for because at the time Axel was firing everybody and they all hated each other. Yeah, and so how did that happen? And like, I think Jamie just said they they did the right thing by West because of all the things he did for them. Right, that's right. why Axel and Slash, even though they didn't record specifically together, they were still right. on the same track. As so it was Correct. his. We pulled. Okay. We, we put a piece of tape over the track that was Slash. And pulled his fader down so that when Axel would come to sing, he had no idea that Slash was even on it, and oh, vice wow. versa. If he, Slash came back in to redo it or whatever, Axel's voice would be taken out of the mix and just name covered up with tape. And so they couldn't even know they were on the same track. It would have been bedlam, you know? So was that the plan that they're not going to know they're on the same track until I release this record? Correct. <laughs> was what was the the impetus behind him doing that? Because obviously there's some sort of because he thought they would never get back. West thought they'd never get back together again, and figured I'll have the last recording of all the original guys, you know, on the same record. That was his thinking. So he thought that was that was it. Like he's yeah, wow. Yeah, he thought they would be done. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty yeah. that's pretty funny. Then. What was it like meeting, like, any uh, specific conversation or... Izzy was was great, man. He was so cool. The other guys, I've met Slash and Duff a couple times. They're they're okay. uh, For some reason, they're they're not warm and fuzzy with me, you know. They're just like, hey, what's up, you know. They don't know me from Adam, so I guess, you know, what the fuck would they give a shit, you know what I mean? (laughs) Okay, sure. That's kind of how I felt. It's like they have way more things to think about than meeting me, you know. Hmm. And um, I don't know. Izzy was very cool. He brought some really cool uh, Indian cookies from this, like you know, Indian like uh, Indian food, like like uh, India, country sure. India. Yeah, Indian food, right. sure. Yeah, he brought these really tasty little cake cookie things and i'm like man these are really good where'd you get these he told me we started talking about you know food and shit and he was way cool he, he wasn't you know he didn't have a, uh he didn't have a an attitude you know he's very down to earth which is probably why he couldn't hang hmm. you yep. know because the other guys are all you know 
rock stars and shit. Then what was uh, uh, Axel like? Then you, did he have a presence like with firing people? Did he? Did it ever cross your mind that you know he might not have liked you and and asked you off the project? Like he would have had that kind of power with West? Like if there was like he still even though he was a guest on the record that he had some sort of control over that no. track? No, 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 not at all. Okay. No, I played on that track, and, and you know, big deal. I just, you know what I mean? The song stands alone with or without his voice on it. I told Wes that. He said, "Dude, just take his fucking voice out off of it and put it out anyway. It sounds great." <laughs> you know. But I, I didn't even know though that it was Axel on it. You know. Oh he yeah, he's doing backgrounds on uh, the title track, "Anxious Disease." Right. So I didn't even know until I read about it that Axel was on the record. It didn't. It didn't stand out to me like that. Yeah. That's and why he doesn't. He doesn't like anyone in the studio when he's recording. I never got to meet him. Oh, okay. That's okay. He, he comes in the studio at like 3 a.m. or some ungodly hour like that to do his vocals. <laughs> God knows why, but that's what he does. Mm. Then tell us about, because I know we, we talked a little bit earlier, you know, just the fallout, what happened. Like you were, you had the lead singer, you were dealing with West, and, right. and just did you know any, did you foresee any of this happening? Cause I, Hell no. I thought, I didn't, no, I didn't, not at all. It was... I knew they were going down a bad road, but I didn't know how bad. Right. You know? Um, I was the only sober member of the band, and I had never been around junkies or cocaine addicts or both, you know? And so they were really good at hiding it from me, and it just took it, it just got them. It got them both, George and West. Well, before, before West died we he found an, another singer from canada to do the rest of the record right and uh he wanted to take george's voice off for continuity and i'm like are you kidding me you keep george's voice on there you fucking asshole he was awesome <laughs> you know i miss him I, I was pissed i was so pissed at west man he fired me from when i put him in rehab he fired me so you have no right to put me in rehab and all this shit and Jamie, who I had brought into the band, sided with West. Said, yeah, you didn't have the right to do that because West is the one with the deal, which showed me Jamie's integrity right there. Mm. And I was like, wow, what a piece of crap, you know? I'm trying to save the guy's life, and the guy's back in the asshole, right? So he calls me up a month later, all apologetic. I'm clean now. I'm so sorry. I need you back in the band. I didn't really mean to fire you. We need to, we're going to go on tour with ZZ Top. I got another singer to do the record and all this shit. I'm like, okay, well, let's just go and do this and rock it, man. I forgive you. I understand you were in your illness. And let's just go rock this shit, you know? And a few days later, uh, I get a phone call. West is dead. Uh. Like a month later. I don't even remember the timeline. Yeah, I'm like, oh, what? So it was like three years of work down the toilet. And my whole life was dedicated to this project, you know? Where did you even begin to pick up and just figure out, like, the, what the next move would be? I mean, obviously, you're, you're dealing with the grieving of your, your friends within a short amount of time, but yeah. you also have your life to think about. And, like, when did you even, like, how do you even plan, like, okay, Mike, do I look for another band? I have to make money. Do yeah. I get a regular job? Do I move All somewhere else? Okay. I mean, like, what, do you, what was your next move? My next move was, uh, well, I just started dating this girl 
and she, uh, the day that I put George in rehab, we were supposed to be recording all day and night, and she thought I was in the studio, and I told her what had actually happened. She's like, oh, my God. And I said, I really don't want to go back to my our apartment. Do you mind if I stay here tonight? So I ended up staying with her for a few days, went back to the place, had some friends from N.A. come and clean up the blood and puke and shit that was in the bathroom. And, uh, you know, I, and I felt weird about being there by myself. You know, it was West Pad. I had one bedroom. George was on the couch. George is now dead, and West is in a rehab, and I'm there by myself going, what the fuck, you know? Mm. So I, I moved in with her, and I uh, started working with Rod Jackson. Actually, I started working with Steve Pryor, the guitar player from Oklahoma. Oh. Really good guitar, blues rock guitar player. Uh, he passed away last year, mm. motorcycle wreck, but the guy was excellent. He was like kind of like Stevie Ray Vaughan, but more rocked out. If you can imagine that. <laughs> I can. Yeah. But anyway, I thought, well, what do I do now? I said, I don't like, fuck rock and roll. I'm going to go play country, right? Fuck this rock and roll shit. This is way too much for me. It's too heavy, blah, blah, blah. I'll go play with a country band. I got a gig with a country band. I'm out playing. We're doing five sets a night, five nights a week at these big giant dance halls in the middle of like Colorado and Texas and shit. And I'm like, people doing all these you know line dances and crap and and uh you know i asked the bartender hey man you know i can get a joint you know oh that's illegal here we don't do that here i'm like yeah but you ride around with open whiskey jugs with shotguns in your back of your truck that's cooler you know come on right they, but they would look at me like i had three heads you know hey man you have any weed oh we don't do that around the, here the and stigma I'm, oh it was unbelievable and I, the reason I started smoking again was, you know, after going through all this shit, you know, I, I was watching the news one day at my friend's studio, and uh, they announced that they had successfully cloned a mammal, Dolly the sheep. Remember that? I do. I do, yeah. Okay, when they did that, I had this vision flash in my brain of, like, really twisted shit with aliens about aliens okay. coming down and all this stuff and I'm like oh my god I gotta get stoned <laughs> <laughs> so that's when, you know I started smoking weed and anyway I don't do any of the I don't do any of the shit that those guys did those guys were shooting heroin and cocaine injecting it I'm like what the fuck no yeah you don't die from uh, from marijuana or pot no that. I mean, you know. just to be around that environment, because that's something, you know, I do talk about in this podcast, uh, addiction and depression. And I, yeah. I, I said I'm lucky that I'd never really gotten into anything uh, hard because I, I feel like I would because I have an, 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 uh, an addictive personality that I would I could easily fall into that. Yeah. Anybody like was around could. me. So that's why, yeah. you know, people with people like West, I mean, yeah, he was mad at you at the time. And so was yeah. uh, uh, Jamie at the time. You're trying to do the right thing. But to be. Around people suffering from that and going through this, uh, with, with dealing with hard drugs, I, it's oh, it's a mess. It, it's, it's a nightmare. It, it's 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 unnecessary stress, and yeah. unfortunately, you know, they paid just like the ultimate price. It wasn't just a, a horrible nuisance. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. it's terrible. So uh, you know, I, yeah, I mean, addiction is a scary thing. But, I've been to rehab a bunch of times when I was a youngster. And I remember, you know, watching a limo pull up and some guy pull, comes out with two garbage bags 
He goes, yeah, I can afford a $300,000 a year coke habit, but I can't afford any luggage. <sighs> you know? I'm like, fuck, you're a mess, dude. <laughs> well, you said something else to me off the other that I can um, like identify with, and it's something yeah. that helps me keep away from some of the, the, the more dangerous temptations, but you've, it's therapy. And that's something I talk about. I'm open about going yeah. to therapy. Oh, yeah. I, I, had a, I wasn't even able to talk about or think about the outpatients for about five years until I went to therapy. I, 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 I was a mess. I was such a mess. Like, how do you, I try to just move forward, you know, after going through, like, all this trauma and shit. You know, I have, I have what do you call it, PTSD from that band, you know? Do you think, because obviously, you know, you dealt with some of the, the death of your singer kind of face-to-face and hands-on. Yeah. Which is, is is traumatic enough, right. uh, aside from the the death. But do you ever think about like other bands that deal with a death and like what they have to, you know, how how to cope? Uh, I think it was a recent. It was for another podcast that I did. It was actually with uh, for for Alternative Nation, where I interviewed uh, Dave Laurie, the the manager, former manager, of course, of course, because he was for Jeff Buckley. Right. And he said after Jeff had died, yeah. uh, the I forget if it was the PR person or somebody that was in the management team of Nirvana reached yeah. out to him and said, you know, unfortunately, welcome to the club of yeah. like, you know, your singer, your face dies. Right. What do you do? Like, what do you, like, exactly. where do you go from, from I here? I don't know. I've been trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure it out. Right. So that's what I'm asking. About it. I've, I'm writing songs about it. Mm. Um. A lot of my songs now are deeply personal and and more on the, I don't know, man. I'm just writing music, you know, and trying to finish up this damn record. It's taking me forever. <laughs> how it what, is. Cause, you how know, long have you been working on it? Is, is it solo? Is that what the record is now? Or are you looking yeah, for it? My, my songs, and I brought, in, I brought in players to play on it. Like, I uh, brought in uh, Billy Burke on guitar, uh, Al Da Silva on drums, Al played with uh, the River Dogs. Okay. Uh, with Vivian Campbell and shit. Um, Al was a great drummer, man. I'm so bummed he, he just decided he couldn't do it full time. But mm-hmm. we didn't have a we didn't have a deal, you know. I don't have a deal. I, I can't pay anybody, so I don't have a band. Because that's how it is. If you want to have a pro band, you got to pay people, man. And, and uh, it's really hard to get people willing to just play for you know shits and giggles, especially at our age. Then how do you how do we get you the residuals from the outpatients record? It what is the problem have, there? Is what it, is the it, problem? It's is it West? Uh, is it the estate? The arcane state? It's every yeah. It's it's them. It's it's the lawyers that that made shitloads of money off it and didn't pay anyone. It's the it's everybody, man. It's just it's like I don't know it's the whole digital world and and the fact that you can even find it. You know, is amazing, but it's like, wow. I don't understand the world these days, man. I really don't. I don't. I don't get the whole computer thing. I don't have a cell phone. Well, I actually do, but I never use it, and I always forget it. Hmm. And I don't text or any of that shit. It's like, man, if you want to call me or talk to me, call me. I, I don't text. I'm not. I'm not looking at my hands every ten minutes. You know, like everyone else. I, I, I don't. It's weird, man. It's a weird world that we're in now. Very weird. And what I'm blown away is these kids, instead of going or, I mean, Guns N' Roses obviously is going to sell out arenas. But these these guys that don't do anything except spin records and, you know, play with filters like DJs and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
and there's thousands of people paying shitloads of money to go watch a guy spin records. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, it's, I don't get it. I, I don't, don't get it. I don't either. And I mean, I have younger brothers who yeah. will go to some of those shows. Yeah. And, and and some younger friends, and it's supposed to be it's like all the work that those DJs do behind the scenes, but and with all the production of it. But it's like, all right, what I I get that for someone like I'm on a different level, right. I'll, I'll do imaging and you know sweepers or whatever for uh, you know, radio I, stations. But it's like okay, that there's a creativity and funness that goes into it. But to watch somebody perform that, right. I don't understand that at all. Yeah, and uh, it's something that we learned because you guys. Um, you guys never played a live show, right? right? That never happened. No. So, are there any? Are there? Is there any like demos out there? Is there anything that we could possibly uncover from that era that may be out there? The records out there. I mean, other than the record itself, of course. Yeah. But I mean, right. I, I didn't know if there would be, you know, it's all with lost. different covers and shit. It's mind-boggling. Right, with different. Co- yeah, every time I Google it, like when it was uh, I was promoting Jamie's episode or right. yours, I'm like there's always like a different version of the cover. Like, yeah, which is the right one? <laughs> right. But well, like, the original one had this really mean monkey on it. Okay. Really mean monkey. That was the original cover. And then I guess when the guys decided to sell it on their own, they changed the cover and uh, took out the lyrics. I think. Have all the lyrics or not? But you know. Who knows? Uh, it's just really weird. I had to buy them myself off of Amazon and, and eBay. Uh, well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to hope to keep bringing attention to the record and, and you know the people that played on it, because not everybody, of course, can speak for themselves anymore. Right. Uh, is there anything, yeah. you know, there's, obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, heaviness that, oh, yeah. that comes with thinking about that time, but what would you say is, you know... The, the best experience from that time of recording that record with the outpatients. What, like, what's it, what, what's like, like a great memory or the something that you... The greatest memory mm-hmm. was, or the most interesting one, I think, for me as a musician, was he went to show me a song. It's called Walk On By. And he's playing this progression that sounds like a child playing wrong chords. And I'm going, wow, this sounds really dissonant and weird. Like, you don't know, like, what the fuck is this, <laughs> And so I'm I'm learning the voicings that he's doing. I'm copying them on the keyboard. Okay, okay. I sort of follow. But man, how do you feel this shit, man? I like I I didn't feel like music is all about how it feels for me. And um, it was really odd. Like I didn't. I'm trying. I'm starting to feel it. And and then, but I'm like still questioning myself. Like. Boy, what I'm playing just sounds wrong, you know? And he goes, No, no, that's perfect, that's perfect. I'm like, if you say so. He goes, Wait till you hear the melody. And then when I did hear the melody that goes over it and the guitar part that goes over it, I was like, How the hell did you come up with that? It was really cool, you know? I was like, Wow, this guy thinks in a, w- in a different way than I do about music. And I was like, Inspired to work with somebody that could give me that kind of. You know, teach me something, you know, because mm-hmm. I've been playing since I was five and, and I'm pretty good, I think, or used to be, <laughs> <laughs> but I still play a bit, but I'm not as ferocious as I used to be. But, uh, but still, just... your resume speaks for itself. I think. Yeah, whatever. It's just, you know, I, I, play, I use less notes now. I can say a lot more with less notes. Mm. 
which I think is a sign of musical maturity, I would think. I think you're right. It's like me trying to get to my point without waiting, you know, wasting a minute to get to my point and just right. getting it out there. Just like this sentence yeah. right now. But his musicality, West's musicality was very, very unique. And that's what I think got G&R's attention. Plus the fact that they were, you know, buying Coke and fucking the same strippers that, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're all doing this. They're all hanging out together in that scene. And they liked his tunes. And next thing you know, Duff, one day Duff calls him up and says, hey, Wes, you got to get a lawyer. Wes is like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> he goes, you got to get your publishing. He's like, what publishing? He's like, well, the songs you wrote that we're doing. Oh, cool. He didn't even know he was owed money. Mm. He just thought it was cool that his friend's band was doing his tunes. Wow. You know? And the next thing you know, he's getting quarterly checks. Quarter, every few months for like $6 million, $10 million, $12 million, you know? Multi, multi, multi millions from that. Wow. was writing with them. And I was like, geez, you know? And he wasn't even technically part of the band. No. But as much as he wanted to be. on. Wow, and I guess this leads to, you know, because I don't want to keep you here uh, forever, but this adds, this is segues into a nice question from uh, from Jan from Germany sure. about members of the band and what you do. Uh, what do you think about the keyboardists in, in Guns N' Roses? Because they didn't have one at the beginning, of course, but right. they've had Dizzy Reed since Use Your Illusion. Uh, uh, right. Teddy Zigzag was a touring member. Uh, right. Chris Pittman, uh, now Melissa Reese. Like, yeah. what do you think about? Because you saw them back in the in their day. What do you think about them having keyboardists, not just one but two? Honestly, it doesn't. Aside from November Rain, I don't really like their keyboard stuff that they do. Um, I don't know. I, everyone's got their taste, you know. I I, I think it's cool, but I also kind of think. It's kind of going over the top. You know what I mean? Like, kind of, they don't need it. You know? No, it's like fair. Pink Floyd, when Pink Floyd tours, they've got three backup singers, a sax player, two keyboard players, two guitar players, because they need it. Mm. You know what I mean? To recreate the Pink Floyd experience, you need all these players to play their parts and sing and all that shit. Right. For Guns N' Roses to be themselves, they just need the core. They don't need, you know dancers and background singers and keyboard players. I mean, it's it's a different animal. You know what I mean? I do. No, I do know like, what you mean, yeah. Like taking a ferocious tiger and trying to make it a house cat. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I see it. I, I do it's know what you mean. Like a Joe Cocker concert where you've got a sax player, you've got background singers, you've got guitar player, you've got a whole bunch of people to watch doing extraordinary shit. Mm -hmm. Same with GNR. They don't really need to add, you know, a bunch of shit to their stuff, you know. I, yeah, they, it got a lot, especially when they had uh, three guitarists and also the, the the two keyboardists. I mean, obviously, you know, at the core, like when you saw them, the Appetite Five, they, they didn't have that, and those yeah, songs speak for themselves. It. I don't know. I'm weird though with all the, like the new members. I feel like they always have like a good cast like a like a tv like i i like melissa reese as a part of the yeah, like the way you know she's talented it's, it's wonderful i haven't really listened to her i don't really listen to keyboard players except for old timers that mm -hmm. you know the guys like errol you know errol garner ahmad jamal bill evans um 
James Booker. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like guys that were like just freaking monsters and and youngsters have a lot have I, there's still much to learn from the old masters. Beethoven, Brahms, Bach. You know? Sure. That's where it all well, it comes rock and roll comes out of black spiritual stuff and slavery and shit mm-hmm. and hymns and stuff. No, you're absolutely right. Yep. But anyways, it's it's I thought Guns N' Roses was a hell, it is and was a great great band. Excellent. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, if I'm ever in L.A., we'll go to a show together, or you can come out here uh, yeah. to to go. You know, I can get your perspective on everything. But yeah. uh, I guess because you're not Mr. Social Media, if if people want to keep in talk and, and talk with you and contact with you, especially when you know the formation of your your record, do you right. want people to contact you on sure. Facebook or? Sure. I don't know how I'm going to get this record out though because I don't really I don't have a manager or a lawyer, and I don't know like when you put it out through another company mm-hmm. like CD Baby or Amazon or something like that. You can't really audit how many of them they're making or printing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, they could say, well, we only sold 10 copies, but they sold 100,000 copies or something like that. So I'm, I'm kind of, like, reluctant to put out anything until I can even get paid on the outpatients. You know what I mean? Like, fuck. <sighs> yeah, no, I, I do. I mean, well, you'll, you'll figure yeah. out a way. I mean, whether you want to... You know, do it in if you're putting it up on Spotify, on YouTube. If you want to do a CD baby thing, I mean that's not my area of forte because I, I'm just trying to get this podcast out there, and that's yeah, that, that yeah. in itself is a uh, is a, difficult. It's a, yeah, it's a mountain to climb, you know. I know, but I mean, I, I'm glad you're getting the creativity out there. I mean, obviously, you know, finances and making something back from it is great, but I'm glad, you know, a lot well, of the bad stuff is behind you, and you're you're creating again. Well, absolutely. You cannot step in the same part of the river twice, you know, an old Indian saying or something like that. But, you know, it's what else? I'm a a musician. That's all I know. So I've tried to do other things. It never works. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it just doesn't work. Well, we're glad that you are. I mean, you made a great record. I know there's a lot of... uh... There's some you know, good on it. question, uh, you know, questionable activity that happened around making the record. Some sad oh, yeah. stories that happened around the record, but it's still an album that people appreciate all these these years later. And I know yeah. my listeners appreciate you coming on. And you know, there's a lot of pain in that record, man. Yeah, I think a lot more than people knew yeah. about it. So I mean, I hope people go back and listen to it, and, and it gives them a new and deeper perspective and appreciation for, you know, yeah. not just you, but what, what West brought. Oh, he was amazing. He was so uniquely creative. I never met, he was one of the, probably the most, and I played with a lot of guitar players, man. You know, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I can name names, but it doesn't matter. But Jesus, this guy, West, had such a unique approach to songwriting and creating melodies that I haven't heard anybody else write like that like that since. You know. Well, I I, I want to keep learning about West, and I want to keep this part of the Guns N' Roses story alive because it yeah. it, it, it it needs to be. It needs to be. Yeah. And then we you know the point of, it leads us down to a road to talking to to you today, which yeah. is you know this would not have happened in any right. other universe. So I, I appreciate. You well, know, I appreciate your time. being remembered for something, man. It's kind of cool. No, of course. And, uh, <laughs> you you're know? officially, since you know, I played some uh, 
some sound bites for you before, but I guess if you want to come back on again, you're always welcome because you're officially you're a bad apple. That's what I call you know people, friends of the show. Yeah, man. Thank you. How do I find your show? I'm not very good at the computer. I'll be honest with you. So, well, I'll if you make tell me the website to go to. I could go to it. Yeah, no, I'll make it uh, easy for for you specifically. I'll just email you or, or in, yeah. inbox you a link. But we're up on a you know a few platforms. Uh, the iHeart. If you well, you said you don't have a cell phone, but no. if you have uh, well, also on your computer, or if you do invest in a cell phone. Uh, just like how back in the day you purposely bought a laptop just to see if you were on the internet with the uh, yeah. Japan. Uh, right. But uh, iHeartRadio, you can stream it on. There's the iHeartRadio website or on the app. Uh, right. Same thing with Spreaker. Uh, it's, that's like Speaker, but with an R Spreaker in there. SoundCloud yeah. is the same thing as a, a iPhone app, or there's a website to play it off of. Uh, iTunes as well. Uh, Stitcher is the same thing. So I can send you one or all of those links. Uh, wow. the, the AFD show is is on. You could stream it. You can download it. Uh, Very cool. Yeah, and you can pl- play it on your phone or on yeah on your computer. So it's it's pretty good to uh, click and play. I don't charge uh, anyone for anything. Hopefully, that'll come a point where I can be like a, a Joe Rogan or Adam Carolla and make yeah, some uh, money off it. But it's been yeah. uh, very awesome that not just talking to people like you, but all the listener feedback that I get back yeah. uh, a lot. You know, the, the last episode, which didn't even have a, quote, rock star on it, right. has well over, you know, a thousand uh, people who have listened to it and downloaded it already. So uh, cool. in, in a very short amount of time. So, um, yeah, that's how you can get it. But and that, that was also me not just explaining it to you. But <laughs> right. that's like the, the the creative way of like I'm explaining it to you and my audience at the same time. So it does a, you know, two burns. Uh, I wish you all the best of luck with it, man. I hope it goes huge. Thank you, and I get back some great uh, feedback, which you, I'm sure I'll get back from this episode, where, you know, this person's story was so inspiring, or I had no idea about this, so people seem to really appreciate me bringing in and finding the people, like, the right kind of people to tell stories, and uh, thank you so much, Greg, I really appreciate it. Thank you, it was nice talking to you. So that was cool. Uh, Another conversation that uh, we've had here on the AFD show that I... Never expected to have in, in a good way, you know, talking to the keyboardist on the outpatients record. And we're hearing about, you know, more insight into, into West Arkeene. I, 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 I hope maybe it's me being in denial that it was never said to West, oh, you know, you, you can't join Guns N' Roses because you're too short and fat. Was it said like that literally verbatim? I hope not. And then you just think, like, you hope that didn't affect him, that led him down his deadly path. It's horrible. And even if it was said, I mean, for me currently, I don't hold anybody accountable for that now. I mean, God, I mean, Lord knows the things that I said when I was, you know, in my early 20s to people, some nasty shit. Am I the same person? No, I've grown. So I don't hold anybody, whether, you know, I'm just saying this flippantly, but if it was Axel that said that, I have no idea. But I wouldn't hold them accountable now. But at the time, that sucks. That fucking sucks to hear that. But uh, it's just more of Wester Keen's story that I want to get out there. Um, and I know you guys want to hear about. So I appreciate it. I, know, I, I wish I can remember the guy's name on, on my GNRforum.com that first suggested interviewing somebody from the outpatients. And that led to two, I think, great episodes with, with Jamie Hunting 
and and then now with uh with with Greg uh, Buckwalter, very cool. Well, that's what this uh, show is gonna be like. So if you have more suggestions of who I may interview, I get them a lot. I do listen to you, obviously. Let me know. Send me an inbox again on Facebook, uh, facebook.com uh, slash uh, the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. If you have a guest suggestion, or as I said at the beginning of the episode, if you want to co host, you can either co host with me. If, like, if I announce a guest, like, hey, you know what, Brando, do you have a co host for this? I want to interview him too. You could do that. Or say, hey, you know what, I know this person. Let me co host with you. And you know what? Maybe in addition to that, you have your own GNR story. Oh, I saw Guns N' Roses back in, in 1990 and at this show, and I want to tell everybody about it. Do it. This is your opportunity to tell your Guns N' Roses story. So let's create some some radio magic together. Okay. And so I just listed uh, all the places that you could find the AFD show to uh, to Greg. So you can find us again, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, I'll, I'll be working on uh, more platforms because the more platforms we are, we are on, uh, the more people could find out about the, uh, us, so and the more guests that we can get. So please uh, spread the word. You can all also uh, rate us on on Facebook. So giving us uh, five stars and uh, a nice little review would be greatly appreciated. So uh, this is Brando uh, signing off. Episode seventy five of the AFD show. When will you see the next EP episode? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.